Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Meet Me for Coffee. I got an awesome guest, uh, my dear friend, Al Yeti Bones. Uh, he's a uh, an amazing musician. I think he's one of the best in Canada because, you know, I've heard some of his demo tapes when we hung out before. And, uh, you know, they're great. He's in Age of Wolves, a new project, Gypsy Chief Goliath and Conduit Beast. Uh, what an awesome, what an awesome name, man. How's it going? Nice to see you. Nice to see you too, brother. How are you? I'm I'm great, man. How do you take your coffee? Um, normally, like I take my Sabbath, but uh, <laughs> but lately it's uh, mainly uh, cream, MCT oil, and a little scoop of butter. Oh, that's wild, wild man! I, I love I love bullet coffee. What are the benefits to bullet coffee? So, recently, uh, I'd say about maybe four years ago, I embarked on a like a ketogenic lifestyle. So. With that came a lot of uh, learning curve, you know, learning what you're going to do, understanding that it's got to be um, done healthy, healthy wise. You know, I needed to lose weight. I needed to get healthy, but uh, it wasn't until I realized that I needed to get healthy in order to lose weight is when everything started to like, just, you know, completely make sense. And then I came apart. Uh, I came across a guy, Dave Asprey on a Joe Rogan podcast, I think. And he was like the creator of the Bulletproof Coffee. And, you know, if you know Dave Asprey and if you've read any of his books and stuff, he's like extremely arrogant and like so like, oh, I know so much about everything and biohacking and how the body works and all this stuff. And I can just basically carry a vial of salt around everywhere. And just if I'm ever, you know, super hungry, I just put the salt on my tongue and boom, cravings are gone. So I'm always wondering about like, his science and like just the biochemistry makeup of the body and how to biohack and bulletproof coffee seem to really have a lot of science behind it. Um, basically, you know, with a medium chain triglyceride, the MCT oil, it's like pure fat and they, they extract it from a coconut from coconuts. And um, yeah. And, and so the MCT oil that's in the butter that, you know, gets added into a bulletproof coffee, bulletproof coffee is just, regular coffee you know it's uh i mean it's probably dave will tell you it's probably outsourced and you know to like the cleanest beans on the planet and everything but you know for for basic terminologies you know you take uh regular black coffee blend it with some cream mct oil and butter and the benefits uh it keeps you satiated for longer during the day so this isn't something you eat with bacon and eggs and toast this is something you drink at the beginning of the day as like a technically a, a meal replacement, you know? And so the real benefits are, is that when you wake up in the morning, you're training your body still to kind of encourage that ketosis, you know, and uh, continuously trying to help burn fat. So at the beginning of, you know, a ketogenic diet, you want to take bulletproof coffee in the morning that helps your body rev up for a fat burning mechanism to be turned on and turned off the glucose burning mechanism. So that's basically why we would drink Bulletproof. I wouldn't eat, I, you know, I drink Bulletproof coffee in the morning and I wouldn't eat nothing until maybe three o'clock in the afternoon. And that's not because I'm starving by three. Um, it's because I'm just genuinely hungry at that point because wow. the coffee actually holds me off for that long and it keeps me in a fasted state to some degree. Yeah. Because one of the biggest things is, is that some people look at fasting as, 
Well, it's not technically fasting if you're taking in calories. And with Bulletproof Coffee, there's so much calories, you know, maybe 400 or 300 calories through the cream and the butter and the MCT oil that you're not actually fasting. You're breaking your fast just like anybody else. Well, that's not technically true because fasting is a weight loss management tool uh, that's really great for people to use long term. You can do a daily fast. You can do your intermittent fasting. You can do 24, 48 74, 72 hour, you know, week long fasts. After 36 hours, autophagy starts to work, which is the recycling of protein cells in the body. So this is why detox drinks are so popular. It's not the detox liquid that's in the drink that's making the magic happen. It's the autophagy from not eating. It's the, it's the abstinence of food that's making uh, the recycling of the proteins happen. So, you know, with uh, bulletproof coffee in general, Losing weight is an insulin, it's an insulin thing. So, you know, when you start getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you keep eating carbohydrates in the North American diet, That's me. It, it's all of us, all of us was like that, you know, as soon as, as soon as you're old enough to eat solids, you know, from, you know, uh, switching over from colostrum, which was like pure fat from the, from the boob. You know, it's pure fat until it lactates and starts to turn into sugary milk, right? And then all of a sudden, once it does that, you start to feed kids cereal, you know, which is just pure carbs. You know, so then you change the whole mechanism, you know, for burning energy from fat over to sugar. So we start that at an early age. So like all of our bodies are so metabolically broken at times because we've been so used to you know, just burning sugar for our primary fuel, you know, every once in a while in the abstinence of food, when you're not eating, you're actually tapping into more ketones. And they realize that ketone production um, is really benefited by the amount of fat you eat and the healthy fats, especially healthy fats, you know, so, you know, the whole thing with uh, not breaking the fast by eating or by drinking bulletproof coffee, the reason why I say it's not really technically breaking a fast is because, or why I'll debate that is, is because um, fasting is, is supposed to lower insulin, you know, and fat has a very little insulin spike relative to glucose. So when you're eating more sugary foods or when you're eating high carbohydrate foods, you're spiking your insulin and you're keeping your insulin constantly up. So then the mechanisms that keep your appetite like always, always hungry and you're starving every 15 minutes and you just need to keep eating to satiate that and then you're never actually satiated is because you have high insulin and you're eating foods that spike your insulin all the time. So you're never actually regulating and downregulating that insulin. So when I drink a coffee that has, you know, a bunch of fat in it, it's very like I don't gain weight from it because the insulin spike is very small, if not anything at all. So um, that's why I look at it as like, you know, it's not really a cheat. It's just another way to biohack, you know, getting through a fast. If you can't get through a long-term fast, you know, have uh, like a shot of cream or have some olive oil or some kind of healthy fat, maybe a little bit of avocado or something like that. Yes. The body will regulate it as, you know, calories in. So no more fasting or so the body's not fasting anymore, but the body also doesn't, uh, translate much of like, oh, well, since we just had calories, 
we need more calories. Keep, we're going to be burning our calories today. You know, no, it's, it's, you're eating a low insulin spiked food, you know, and it just happens to be, you know, a decent amount of calories and you're, and you're good with that. You know, a 300 calorie in the morning drink, um, that's, you know, no carbs is, is not going to keep you, it's not going to make you bloated, but it's going to really, it's going to really satiate you for the better half of the day. Yeah. I mean, like I I've seen, like, I haven't seen you in physical form for a few years now. You look great, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the keto thing, there's always that legend, you know, it's always like, Hey man, like it's good, but it, it clogs your arteries, right? It clogs your arteries. And, um, is that true? No. So in fact, there's probably, there's probably more science out there that proves that to be debunked. Um, Basically, what happened was in the 40s and the 50s, there was a doctor from Minnesota uh, called Ansel Keys, Dr. Ansel Keys. And he was being paid by the sugar companies to come up with research that proves that fat is not good for you and that sugar is actually healthy. And any research that anybody makes and, you know, uh, if you pay somebody enough money to find research on why this is good for you, then they'll find it, you know, because they're getting paid for it. Right. So. Uh, One of the things was, was when they would open up, uh, you know, people who have had like died of heart disease and heart failure and and whatnot, they found that there was a lot of fat swimming in their blood and there was fat clogging their arteries. And they really just basically took uh, a core, like they, they, they took correlation and mistaken it for causation, you know, and they said, well, there's fat in the blood. That must mean that fat is what makes this happen. But then they realized that the standard North American diet of eating high fat, high fat foods combined with, you know, high heat fried foods combined with sugar and put it all together. And you've got a concoction for cancer and a lot of other things, you know, so when they start piecing that all together, but when they realized that when people on ketogenic diets who were burning fat, like no tomorrow, you know, they have less fat swimming in their blood because our bodies, our thermoses, like our, they're fur- we're furnaces, right? So it's like we, you know, we just hold all that heat in and then we need to expend it. And, uh, you know, when we're burning these uh, fat cells, we're actually, somebody, a ketogenic diet is taking in enough fat to help the body burn fat. It's, you're not, the best way to explain it, you know, a lot of time is, is the, People think that when you're eating keto, uh, you're eating the same amount of meals as someone who is eating North America. Oh, I'm so worried for your heart because you're you're eating so much fat. It's like the amount of fat that I actually take in, you know, is coming from maybe like an avocado, one avocado, you know, maybe two slices of bacon, a steak, you know, and a shitload of salads a day. Like I eat nothing that's processed, nothing that comes from a box. Nothing that, you know what I mean? And someone's going to tell me who smokes cigarettes on the regular, drinks on the regular, and eats like shit on the regular. And someone's going to tell, that person's going to tell me that they're worried for my heart, yet I lost 115 pounds and like no visceral fat. There's nothing like no fatty liver, none of that stuff that would explain the unhealthy benefit or the unhealthy attributes of a ketogenic diet. But it's, it's a lot of misinformation because, you know, when I fast, I fast for like, I can fast for like maybe 48 hours and then I'm like pretty hungry, you know? So two days go by, I'll fast for that long. Um, 
And then someone says, Oh my God, that's impossible. How could, how could you ever fast that long? Do you ever feel like your energy's dying there? Like, no, no. Like they think that you're starving. And I explained to them because I do the coaching as well. I explained to them, I said, well, how many meals do you usually eat a day? And they said, well, five to six, you know? And I'm like, okay, like let's round it up to seven. Cause you know, and let's look, cause anybody that says however much they're eating tend to exaggerate either they'll pull back because of embarrassment or they'll, you know, kind of, you know, overshoot it. So let's just say seven, for instance, two days fasting, that's 14 fucking meals that you're missing. You know what I mean? Like, that's a lot, you know, that's a lot of meals. Of course you can't fast, you know, or of course you think that you're going to die because you're missing 14 freaking meals, you know, whereas, you know, I, I eat maybe once, twice a day tops once, once to two days, two times a day. That's like, no what, what, what do you eat though? Like what, what, what's the ideal meal for you? Or what do you uh, like a bowl of, uh, I'll do a bowl of broccoli cooked in butter not like a lot of butter. I know some people in the ketogenic diet, they'll take yeah. like, you know, a crazy amount of butter and just pour it in there. Cause it's like, basically they use uh, broccoli as a transporter for the butter. You know what I mean? Like to, to eat the, to eat the fat, it transports the fat, but no, I eat a, I eat a lot of broccoli. I eat a lot of cauliflower and um, a lot of uh, lean and fatty cuts of meat. Uh, either if I'm going to eat a lean cut of meat, I'm going to make sure that my, vegetables have a lot of butter on it so because the lean with the fat is a nice clean is a nice clean meal but when you start introducing um potatoes and you know grains and stuff like that quinoa you know no no nobody in north america was eating quinoa 12 15 years ago you know what i mean that wasn't a thing you know until you know these superfood ideas started coming in and marketing and advertising started becoming such a big a big indicator and a huge factor for why we eat the way we eat. We can't forget that, you know, the cheap, the healthiest way and the cheapest way to eat is always going to be the four corners of the, the four aisle, the out, outer aisles of the grocery store. You know, the moment you're, you're not a guy who does, you drink beer too, and you still enjoy that kind of stuff, right? I so. do. I do. I love IPAs. I love IPAs. So, you know, I find that um, one of the most important things right now with where I'm at, with the ketogenic diet is uh, something called metabolic flexibility. So I want to know that um, I can burn glucose still when I eat that kind of food and that it doesn't actually get stored too heavily as fat and all that stuff because, you know, my, my body's kind of adapted more to fat burning now, you know? So it's like when I'm eating, you know, fattier foods or healthy, I keep my carbs under 20 grams or less. That's, that's how you get into ketosis, not by eating so much fat. So, you know, as, as I'm on this, this is my fourth year probably now doing low carb. Um, you know, I kind of taper back on the fat as much as possible. Now I barely have any, uh, but, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, what I eat and how I keep, uh, how I keep going, it's, it's like the cravings are gone. So like you feel better though. Like you feel hundred percent, hundred percent like clarity and everything. I know, absolutely. I know from my, for myself, it was always, I'd start doing keto and then I'd have a headache, like a withdrawal headache or something like that. And Which is carbohydrate withdrawal. Yeah. So it's like, what is going on? And then after a day or two, I feel good. Right. I feel yeah. great. Yeah. And I got this energy and I feel awesome. I didn't, didn't do the, um, 
the the bulletproof coffee. Obviously, I'm a black coffee kind of guy, so I'm okay. Um, but you know, I I knew that we were going to talk about this because uh, now I know you're kind of an expert. I'll be consulting you, and I really encourage other people to consult you as well because it's it's a very tricky diet, right? I mean, it is. It is. When you talk uh, about diets and like when people talk about diets and they explain that like what their problems are you know you start asking about symptoms you know it's very apparent that for the longest time doctors and nutritionists and dietitians and trainers and stuff we all tend to um kind of you know try to try to find the symptom or find the cure to the symptom it's you're not finding the cure to the disease you know and the disease uh, to, you know, the disease of obesity is high insulin, you know? So when you sit, when a trainer says physically, you have to just get up and more calories out than calories in, you've got to live your life in a deficit, but if you're not eating the right foods to lower your insulin, it doesn't matter what a trainer tells somebody who's obese that you have to have discipline and mind over matter. The brain is always going to win what it wants. So if you can lower the insulin, you're going to lift the inflammation off the brain. You're going to get a much more, uh, less cloudy interpretation of, of the prefrontal cortex, you know, where all your logical thinking comes from. You're going to start saying like, Oh, instead of like the, Oh, I don't feel like doing this or I feel so lethargic. I can't go to the gym this morning. You know that you just get up and you start doing pushups because you, you can't do anything else with this energy. Just, you got to let it out, you know? It, it, it actually happens. That happens. And that's real. That's a real response to when you eliminate sugar from your diet. Once you eliminate that stuff and you've taken in very little, the sweet spot, which is 20 grams or less. We got Al here. He's one of the best musicians that I know. I don't know too many great musicians. And you're, you're one of the great musicians that I know from my area. Thank you. And, uh, you know, you got an awesome group, uh, Gypsy Chief Goliath, uh, a new project called uh, Age of Wolves. And man, dude, like, I think everything you work on, I was expecting to hear your voice a bit more on Age of Wolves, but uh, I just like uh, the stoner rock feel sometimes, right? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Um, what, what what got you into the stoner rock stuff? You know, I I, I know like the, the groove. Do they actually still play the guitar through the bass amps and stuff like that to get that sound? Or? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes that's still like uh, one of those tricks. One of Does those- it ruin the bass amp? Uh, no, I think, I think that if you have, as long as, as long as everything's running through the proper homage for, uh, speakers and, and you got the right heads and stuff and you've, you've been able to kind of combine, I think it's, I think it's a tonal thing. It's always going to be a, a thing about tone and volume. Um, but yeah, thanks, man. Thanks. I think what got me into it the most was obviously Black Sabbath, but then Corrosion of Conformity. And then through there, you know, I, I discovered Down and then uh, Clutch. But I think primarily it was Sabbath and Caius that really, really got me into it. Uh, probably around 14 or 15 years old, actually. So I was uh, I was one of the early ones getting into that stuff. You've got a lot of wisdom in that in that field now. So thanks. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd like to I'd like to think that I do at, at times. I've been able to pick up uh, some some really good tricks and tips and things like that from people that uh, I looked up to and was uh, fortunate enough to be able to spend time with them on the road or, you know, at a show and, and whatnot. So 
So how, how did this Age of Wolves band come together? I watched the documentary, which you can check out on YouTube. Um, yeah. And I, and I found there was uh, another person in there that I knew, uh, Ray Solomon. He's a great guy, an awesome bass player. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, just you want a conversation. If you want the conversation to go on and on and on for hours, raise the guy. Yeah. Um, Raise your man for sure. Yeah, he's right. He's right, man. There's nobody like him. Um, yeah. Another great Windsor musician. Um, Age of Wolves, like they 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 found you. They wanted somebody who had riffs ready to go, who had the experience. Who, um, you when you got the call, it was just like a no brainer for you, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd always wanted to work with Mike, the singer. He uh, sang in a band called Lowdown, yeah. and when Mr. Bones released our first record, the extra heavy, I think back in 1999, um, I asked Mike to sing and, and, and kind of partake on one of the songs. And, uh, and so he, he came into the studio. We did it with uh, Glenn Fricker from uh, Spectre media. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a pretty, pretty large following now with uh, his YouTube videos that he does. Um, his heavy metal YouTube videos. It's they're great. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so he, he ended up, we ended up, uh, doing it at, at, at Glenn's studio and, and then Mike, Mike's band lowdown took us out on tour and then basically set my path, uh, ablaze. You know, I, I started, I didn't stop after that. The, um, the band itself, I guess they were leaving one of their other projects and the three of them knew they wanted to stick together and then Mike called and asked me if I'd uh, come out and and kind of jam with them, and and I did. And at first, I didn't think it was going to work. I really, I really wasn't planning on uh, sticking around for very much, very much longer after that. But you know, I think it, it kind of goes into the documentary as well, and that like, uh, you know, one week turned into two, and then you know, two is turned into like three songs, and then you know, we just kept going and kept pushing forward and, and trying to find ways to, um, you know, keep it, keep it fresh and interesting. I didn't want to, I didn't want them to be in the same old band that they were prior. And I didn't want uh, GCG 2.0 or anything like that. So I was trying to find a happy medium between everybody. Partly part of that was going to be me just playing guitar. Um, but then as, as things happen, it's like, if you can sing and you can do this and, you know, it, it's just more tools in your in your pocket, you know, or tool, tools on your belt. Yeah, well, it's, it's great, man. You come with your arsenal, your 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 Gibson SG. What are you playing now? You still playing the SG or? Yeah, still playing the SG. Uh, in that band, I was playing a Fret King as well. Um, Fret King, the company uh, had sent me one of those years ago, and uh, so the, the tuning is in. Uh, standard C, but my gauges are, I think, 17 to 70 on that guitar. So, I mean, it's like playing like a, like a modified bass amp or something, or modified bass guitar or something. It's really, it's really thick. Well, it's got that juicy tone, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's super thick. It's, it's almost like when we're in the jam room, uh, sometimes the notes are so low and so heavy that you can't differentiate between me and Ray, you know, where he's playing bass. So, it's kind of funny that way. Is he still playing the music, man? Uh, yeah, he's, I think he still has it, but uh, he's playing uh, Dingwalls now, I think. 
Those are great bases, man. Mm-hmm. I know Leland Sklar raves about those ones, right? Like mm. he's playing like every type of bass, but I think he raves about that one. With yeah. the fan frets and you know, one day, one day I'll pick up a pick up a bass from them. Yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah. So the the Age of Wolves thing, it really meshes with the rest of your career. What was that other band? Is it Nimbus Cloud? Is that what it's called? No, uh, Mighty Nimbus. Mighty Nimbus. I'm yeah. Like, Mighty, that was a cool project. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was with uh, guys now from uh, 60 Watt Shaman and uh, Alabama Thunder Pussy and, uh, and well, Pete now uh, from Mighty Nimbus, he plays drums in Pentagram. Yeah. So, like, there's Pretty so cool. many great connections, right? You, you yeah. know, with Jiffy Chief Goliath, you're able to, to, uh, spread your wings pretty, pretty far out, right? Um, you know, yeah, after still, and everything, right? Yeah. We're still gonna, we're still gonna do it. It's just finding a way to manage, you know, your navigation through this time right now is, is a challenge. I think it's gonna be a challenge for a long time. And, uh, it's, it's tough with bands that, you know, we're mid-level bands that were only had this, you know, the sky above to, you know, kind of shoot towards and, and stuff happens, right. That it, it, it sinks the whole industry and sinks a lot of these bands. I, I, I can understand that, you know, this is going to create an opportunity for us all to somehow figure out a way to, you know, um, rocket ship, you know, into orbit after this, like, cause I don't want to miss any, you know, time, but unfortunately, you know, reassessing everything now, it, it's like, it's always going to come back down to like, does, does this make sense? Or does that make sense? Is it logical to continue touring if capacity is at a quarter than it was before? You know, it all depends on how much does that quarter decide to support the band, um, you know, with merchandise and things like that. Is it really, really beneficial? How does a promoter, justify uh, a band a band's guarantee when they can't fill this club up are they going to you know charge three times the admission you know to cover that end or does the band you know or is the band expected to just still show up you know and and fall under the same guidelines as we were before and you know and 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 you know just get a quarter of the the payout you know in in everybody's hurting. So it's not like I would want to be that asshole that demands that much, you know, from anybody, you know, who's struggling. So I would, you know, donate our services for free for God's sake, if I thought we could sell more CDs and stuff. But unfortunately I don't think that this is going to be something that uh, there's going to be new ways to do this, you know? And, and I think the old, the old way is just not, it's not going to be good enough. Not just one single way to do this anymore. Yeah, well, there's live streaming now where bands make a lot of money. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah. The, the Patreon thing. I think they can kind of connect that. If you have a massive fan base, especially being a band. Um, I think everybody's wallet is hurting, and that was yeah. one of the comments I just saw. I'm both yeah. at right. Yeah, no, uh, that's true. That's true. You know, when all this happened, I think I was. I mean, just to, just to show you how stupid this all is, is that like, or just let me just rephrase, like not stupid, yeah. yes, but how crazy all of this was, was like months, maybe a week, a couple weeks before all this happened, you know, I was revving up to, you know, uh, scale back on, on my work, 
and try to increase uh, output in, in performance. You know, I wanted to, you know, hit the road again and I wanted to start doing like an acoustic solo thing and, you know, um, figured maybe, you know, I could play a couple gigs a, a month acoustically right now because, you know, the band stuff is just kind of being spread so thin at the moment. You know, we've GCG, we just recorded our new album and, you know, with Age of Wolves, we're doing that document. We just finished the documentary and then the album and now we're going to do a cassette and like all this like other cool shit. But um, doing something solo would have been uh, would have helped my family a bit more, you know, on the other end. You know what I mean? Like uh, p- uh, payment wise and, and just li- living expenses. But it, it's and then this happened, you know, so it was kind of like it crushed all that out of the sky. Like I was just couldn't couldn't make that happen you know because nobody's gonna book you now you know these are things we have to think about now because we're parents right yeah we got to think about how we're gonna make money how we're gonna sustain what we want to do what Mm -hmm. the plan is it's got there's got to be a plan right there's got to be like hey Mm -hmm. we're gonna stretch it this far and if we don't come out successful we we got to move on right i mean i think think that that's uh, an interesting point because you know I, i i was always I was always against that, you know, for so long. I always remembered seeing my friends like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to give myself a timeline before, before I go and do something else, you know. And, and I always felt like the moment you quit is when you failed, you know. It's, it's like how can someone say that you failed at this when, when you've been doing it your entire life on your own terms and you're happy with, with the results, you know. If, if something else out there is calling to you and you need to just fucking go, then then do that you know go do what you need to do because instincts you know that we have are are so strong and and you know especially musicians i think like we have like a good good solid you know read on people and and can tell you know how how you know whether this is really what i want whether it's not you know we're we're good at that kind of some some of us some of us have that true that's true that's true sorry i Uh, I definitely wouldn't be uh hanging out with those guys who want to do the pay pay to play kind of thing either. So uh, no, some, some people think that's a great idea, you know, maybe you do, but I don't think that's a great idea. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I find that there's like a, there's a service for everything. Right. And, and you know, the, the artist or the band is always the last to get paid, you know? So it's like everybody else has found a way to kind of sneak into an industry that was based off of the song. You yeah. know, there would be no industry if there was no song. There would be no song if there was no artist. Yet, for some reason, the artist is always the last one that gets money back. You know, that's always getting a return on their investment. Last, you know, you're always last, right? So it's like obviously nobody's gonna do anything for free for the artist. You know, um, artwork, mastering, recording, uh, pressing. You know, uh, all that stuff. You know, it's it's up to the artist in the band and or the people that you've put in your circle to kind of, you know, get that business off the ground. So if you treat it like a relationship or something like that, you know, I, I would find it to be incredibly difficult for a band uh, to, to stay afloat, you know, when they're, when it's, you know, because one of the things is, is that like I wrote a book earlier, this uh, I finished up this, this book during COVID and uh and it's submitted to the publisher and from Niagara Falls called Great Borders. And 
it talks a lot about that kind of stuff in there. You know, I, I use the entrepreneurial spirit of being in a band and compare it to, you know, having a business, you know, model. Um, you know, it's very, it's, it's very possible to be making money being in a band if you shift your mindset a little bit, you know, if away from the relationship aspect, you know, and seeing it more as, you know, more of like a business venture with a bunch of friends, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and part of that is, is I think it's imperative to, to look at it that way. Paying to play. I think, you know, if there's, if there's something that, you know, uh, had, you have an opportunity at the end of it and say it's like a competition or something, I guess, you know, but if, if you're already well on your way and you're doing your own thing, there's no need to, like, you can, you can do it all yourself, you know? Yeah. You, you I mean, there's a difference, through. like battle the bands and the more tickets you sell, the sure. more time you get, right? Or there's the other one where it's like, Hey, your band's opening up for clutch. Yeah. Um, sell 30 tickets. Right. right. I, I I don't know. I, I think the clutch thing would be more in, like enticing to me, but I'm not sure I would even want to do that. Right. I um, find it to be, yeah, I find it to be like, again, very um, insulting, you know, at times too, because I understand that there's a business above us that has to also work, you know, yeah. and it has to, it has to move too. But I don't know, man. I, I just always equate it to like, you know, say an artist, like, you know, I, I had posted something a while ago uh, looking for art for my wall. I wanted like a six by set, like something huge, you know, six by four, six by seven, some fucking crazy mural on my wall, you know? And uh, a bunch of starving artists had messaged me saying like, Hey, I've got some stuff. I've got a perfect thing for you like just check it out you know like i'd love for you to you know have it i'm like well how much are you asking for it and they're like well for something that size i think maybe three and a half thousand bucks would be good and i'm just like okay so here's the thing with with all of that that bugs me is is that like you know yeah okay i could buy i could buy that three and a half thousand dollar piece or sixteen hundred dollar piece even for for all i know um and then that covers their rent. It, 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 it helps them. It enables them to keep creating and keep painting and keep piling up projects and art projects that they're going to probably end up giving to their mom or to their sister for their birthday or for Christmas, you know, and things like that. They're going to make somebody, they're going to give somebody gift, somebody something right in their family, because, but they themselves will be starving until they sell a piece of art. So they saw an opportunity to sell it to me because I asked for it. Yet they are, when they're on the floor in their apartment, in their studio apartment painting, you know, they've got their earbuds in and they're listening to their iPod. And, you know, on their iPod is a discography of a bunch of fucking albums that they downloaded for free, you know, and maybe ours included, you know, and the real kicker is, is that like, you know, they didn't pay the 13 bucks you know, to have that album, they just downloaded it, you know, they stole it, and you know, that kind of thing. So it's like, it's funny. It's like, well, how about I go to your place, I take a picture of that mural that you wanted to sell me for 3000, I take it to Staples or to Walmart, you know, and I, you know, print Print out a poster of your fucking picture. You know what I mean? How about I have your picture on my wall? I didn't pay for it. I just took a picture of it, you know, and I printed it out in high res. And you know, to me, 
it does the trick, you know, just like your shitty MP3 does the trick for you. You know, it's like, it's very difficult, you know, and it's, and, and, you know, where do you draw the line? Like, how does, how does it all work? You know, I, I love supporting art, but I also, you know, have an addiction to downloading stuff too, you know, when I need it, you know, I can find something, uh, I'm pissed off. I can't, you know, uh, you know, order something or whatever. And it's, and it's there, if it's there, I'll take it too, you know, but I mean, I'll always, I'll always support the artist. I'll always buy, you know, I'll go to see them play and, and do as much as I can for that person to know that, you know, that I support yeah. them just as much as they support. There's got to be a support system, right? There's got to be a support yeah. system. But if you're, if you're, you're, you're dropping the horse over here, dropping a horse over there, somebody's not following the rules, it all falls apart. Um, yeah, that's it. That's and, it. And that's that. This is exactly why Metallica um, was right for the Napster thing, right? This is exactly yeah. why. Um, because after all that, it all fell apart. People got rich and then it all fell apart. That's true. And we're still here. So yeah. that's, 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 no, that's it. That's it. And, and I mean, you know, they were what they were, they were, they were criticized for years and years and, and still probably, but uh, I think they won in the end, you know, like they, 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 they made a stand and, and they believed in it. And it's not that it's, they were right or wrong. Cause I believe that, you know, the internet and, and file sharing and stuff uh, serves a real purpose in, in, in helping kids find, you know, artists of old, you know, the resurgence of Alice Cooper, you know, it's like nobody would have known that about Alice Cooper today, you know, if it wasn't for their parents or if it wasn't for the internet, you know, and still the relevancy of, of sharing their files, like, you know, people are finding out about Cooper today through, you know, internet. So and and other bands, of course, too. But just wait till they find out about Gigi Allen. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> that, that's a that's a good surprise too. Well, man, like, what's your book about? Like, I know you you mentioned a few things before. Um, let's talk a bit more about your book. I know it probably took a lot of time out of your day to to write it to pen it. So, um, yeah. What's it all about? What would you get the inspiration? Well, the book's called Mistakes I've Made. So you can uh, probably. You can probably guess it's uh it's more of a an homage to the self help genre of books, but it's disguised as a music industry n- novel. It's described it's described as a, 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 a disguised as a music industry book. So I basically talk a lot about um you know success and like what what that means to an individual personalized success. You know where do you see yourself going? Did you see yourself getting there? And do you remember a time in your life where um, you wanted everything in life that you currently have? You know, and if that's the case, then success is here. You know, it's already there. Like no greater regret of my life would be to have not started a family, you know, with my best friend, you know, and it's like I have many regrets in music. Of course, you know, every musician probably does, you know, but it's like no greater regret would be to have not started a family. So that was the that was the ultimatum there, you know, for me, that was that was the ultimatum I put on myself almost. It wasn't like everybody in my life was telling me, well, it's that or this. But, you know, in some subliminal way, it was I needed to kind of put music on the back burner and uh, and try and, and figure out 
what my life today is going to look like, not what my life in five years is going to look like, you know, in some, some dream, you know, and the idea started to pave itself, you know, where I was like, well, you know what, like, if I, I have so much experience that I've accumulated over the years in the last 25 years, that there's, there's a lot of gems there that I, I could put down in a book form, I could blog this out, like, there's a lot of stuff that I could offer people, um, like consulting advice, and, and just just things like that, that the book seemed like a no brainer for me, it was just something that I needed to kind of get off my chest, there was a lot of a lot of opportunity there to start, you know, really winding that down and uh, honing in on that. I had I had the book idea for many years, and I had started it, and you know, I tell myself oh, I'm going to write a book, and then you know, I'd be like, yeah, let's see how I feel after page five. You know, like, do I still want to write a book? You know, and then I put it down so many times. You know, and and then finally, I was like, fuck it, like nothing to lose now. You know, let's go. Yeah, that's that's the mentality you got to have. You got to just push on, and um, sometimes it takes some back steps to kind of analyze things and be like, okay, let's take it easy here and let's let's map it all out. Like today, absolutely today, for example, I'm a bit overwhelmed. I got this show to do. I got to interview you. I have technical issues, right? So, uh, you know, anything could happen, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's all about making time. You know, you're a busy guy. I'm a busy guy. We got things to do after this. But um, if we overanalyze things, things become very stressful. And then, um, yeah, that's a lot, a lot of things. That is a lot of a lot of what people are doing now. They're overanalyzing many things, right? Um, just in the fact that you know we're we're stuck in the house. Uh, we're not able to go and do as we please. Enjoy, or we can enjoy the weather. Obviously, there's more people walking outside than there ever has been um, because yeah. we're in the house. But um, we, we, we go back to our lives from before that that may not ever happen for another year, year, two years down the road. Um, yeah. And then maybe now is a time for people to step back and analyze or, or plan for tomorrow. Um, the family they have, the family that I have right now, I'm always thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about, you know, five years down the road because tomorrow could change everything. Um, it's so uh, true. It's so true. You know, it's 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 not it's like a an old wrestling um, narrative. You know, you can throw a could be all good, and, and and all of a sudden the guy turns on on your favorite wrestler who's the, been the friend in the stable for the longest time, and it's unexpected. Yeah, uh, well, it used to be unexpected. Yeah, um, the, the turn, uh, the heel turn. Yeah, yeah. Who's your who who is your favorite wrestler? You you're an Ultimate Warrior fan. Yeah, I love Ultimate Warrior. Uh, I was Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Macho Man, Mister Perfect. Uh, but yeah, Warrior, Warrior. When Warrior came out, that was that was it for me. I was a big Sting fan too. Yeah, uh, growing up. So I don't know. Like the, I'm, I'm like I love Bret Hart. I love I love watching the dance. You know, like the real wrestling dance. You know, where two guys. Uh, tell a story and it's the the match itself and the way it's crafted masterfully but then you got a guy like ultimate warrior who's you know known as like being very stiff and being very very uh careless and and you know very egotistical and arrogant and always wanting you know himself to look best but um you know then you get a guy like you get a guy working with warrior like macho man 
or like Rick Rude. And those guys told a story with, uh, with Warrior that would not be able to be tell, told in a crafted, masterfully match. You know, it's like there's this level of savageness and barbaric just craziness that like between, you know, you have a guy like Ultimate Warrior who's completely like just, just a savage, right? Just nuts. And um, whether he can wrestle or not, the, the story is far bigger than wrestling. It's, it's comic books, you know, at that point, it's not, it doesn't have to be, you know, this five-star match like Dave Meltzer always puts, you know, like it's uh, it doesn't have to be starred at all. You know, these, these, some of the, his best matches were with those guys who helped really tell a story. They made them, they made, you know, made uh made warrior look like a million bucks. You know what I mean? Because yeah. the way they sell and the way they take the the fall and the way they take the bumps, you know, from Warrior. I used to have an Ultimate Warrior backpack back in kindergarten. Awesome. And the poster on my wall in kindergarten. Um, but actually, one of the best in-ring executioners, um, and this is coming from Kurt Angle, and I really believe him, uh, is Chris was Chris Benoit. That guy yeah. was, like, flawless. Um, his style was awesome and, and, and the way he did things was perfect. You know, is that was the guy you wanted to wrestle. That was the guy who give you the best wrestling match as a wrestler. You'd want to wrestle him. Right. But yeah, um, it's a shame of what happened, but I'll always remember him as one of my favorite wrestlers. Um, I loved him. Yeah, he was great. Um, you know, he's with, uh, Eddie Guerrero. Um, obviously they're good friends. Kurt Angle wrestled him. Um, Kurt Angle went on to wrestle, uh, or the Brock Lesnar in those those matches. Um, yeah. Shane McMahon as well. That was a good one. Um, so there's there's so many great ones, man. The Ultimate Warrior, um, his legend will, will live on, man. I I will I want to be him for Halloween one day. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> I know. I have to go on the keto diet just to lose like twenty five oh. pounds. Yeah. But I, I really thank you, man. I know this has been a long time coming, and obviously we had some technical issues uh, before. Um, but I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about keto. I've learned a lot about you, a lot about your bands. Um, hopefully that, uh, hopeful that Gypsy Chief Goliath uh, comes in with that beer once again. I want us to try it. Yeah, uh, it was a it was a stout, right? Uh yeah, it was a black IPA. Yeah, I don't want to have more than four of those. But it's more of a, a stouty kind of. Uh, it went fast, so yeah, roll that out, man. Let's uh, let's get it rolling. It's, it's, Will do. Uh, Will do, bro. Thank you so much, man. Al Yeti Bones from Chippy Chief Goliath and Age of Wolves.